This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our guest today, musician Igor Ivanik. Uh, Igor Ivanik is a, a musician, a composer, and performer whose music uh, is used to uh, enliven spirituality in folks. Uh, so it has a mystical component to it. Igor, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our show today. Thank you so much, Dennis. Thank you so much, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Igor, um, maybe you could fill our audience in on um, your background. Um, you're originally from Poland. You live in uh, Mississippi, of all places. And um, presumably you were uh, trained as a musician uh, before um, uh, becoming interested in the mystical traditions of the world and that um, intersection of music and mysticism. Is that right? Tell us how you got to the work you do. Uh, well, honestly, um, the, mu the music part and the mysticism part, the mystical part, uh, seem to have been unfolding in my life uh, more or less uh, at the same time. Um, you see, first time uh, I came to the United States as a, as a teenager, um, I came for a summer music program to Boston, and I remember very clearly the very first book that I've ever purchased in the United States. I still have it on my shelf um, to this very day. Uh, it's um, Mysticism of Sound and Music by uh, the Indian mystic and musician Hazrat Inayat Khan. Um, and that was that was about 96. Uh, but but if I go a bit further back um, to my life in Poland, let me tell you this um, a little story that 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 was quite amusing. Um, actually, uh, as a kid, I used to have a little cave uh, underneath uh, our our sofa into which I would crawl. And then many years later, me and my father cleaning up, we we. We removed the sofa, and there were my uh, scribblings, my hieroglyphics on the on the wall. And one of the things that I read already there was uh, Sufism. Um, so, you know, mm. what can I say? I, <laughs> I into that cave, I could only have um, crawled, uh, you know, being pretty small. So I was actually amused to find out that this this has been going on way back uh, into my. Um, Early childhood, um, obviously not necessarily understanding much, but but I always felt drawn to this. I always felt drawn to music, and I remember mm, late in high school when my parents were trying to find out what am I going to do with my life. I told them, well, there are two things that I would like to study. One is music, the other one is comparative religions. Mm. Um, so um, that's uh, and uh, honestly. Those two streaks were, for a long time, they were pretty, um, but they were running parallel in my life, but they were not really crisscrossing much. And then, and then it is upon coming to the to Mississippi that that, that they kind of um, <clears throat> congealed into into one um, <clears throat> music slash mysticism um, approach to uh, to life and to. Uh, to teaching. Let, let me ask you that, Igor. <clears throat> Was there a particular moment at which that happened? And in, in addition to your uh, your playing um, uh, your instrument, were there other spiritual practices that you were involved in that led you to where you are now? <clears throat> um, 
Well, obviously, uh, as you hinted, Dennis, I, I do believe that actually uh, practicing an instrument is a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, since, um, I mean, it, it it requires you know a similar level of of uh, involvement and sincerity um, that 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 a true spiritual practice requires. Um, I've been um, I've been seeking a lot. Uh, uh, I spent 15 years in Boston. In my time in Boston, I was uh, I would spend uh, a lot of um, days and and hours of my life in at uh, the Sufi gatherings um, that that are actually pretty um, common in Boston mm-hmm. um, and um, <coughs> music music of Persia music of India um, music of Pakistan these these musical traditions were uh, a big part of my life parallel in addition to to my western classical music uh, pursuits and training um so i you know i grew up in poland i grew up uh, roman catholic but uh, but my parents had a, a very open approach to uh, towards spirituality they they basically allowed me to explore and and as i as i mentioned before um i would i would read um, treatises on Sufism in uh, in my high school years, and uh, well, uh, uh, you know, I, I would plow through them despite the fact that probably I would I would not understand ninety percent. Uh, but um, but this this was this was very present in my life, and um, when you think about, um, for example, Sufism uh, and its approach to music, well. Um, music is omnipresent, and uh, in the teachings of of people like Hazrat Khan, uh, where you really sometimes you cannot really draw the line in between what is Sufism and what is the Vedic uh, approach towards mm-hmm. sound, towards vibration. They they basically um, overlap so much, um, and. Um, Yes, throughout my life, basically, I just felt drawn to sound, and I knew that there's more to sound than just than just uh, entertainment, as as we usually classify music in general. Um, before we go into the uh, detail of that, I'm, I'm, as I look at your website, I see that both the um, spiritual input into your life influences and the musical influences are incredibly eclectic you know just in the one paragraph right. on the website you mentioned <laughs> Bach and Scriabin you mentioned Hindustani ragas Afro-Cuban dance music Jimi Hendrix <laughs> Stevie Ray Vaughan etc etc can you talk a little bit about what the commonality is that you look for in this eclectic um, range of uh, music, as well as an eclectic spirituality? But that I think you know listeners would understand better. But it, is there something uh, that you look for as uh, a point of commonality, or something in each of these musical forms that appeals to you? And you know what I mean. 
<clears throat> when you mentioned all these all these musical influences, uh, these were obviously in the context of what has been an inspiration in my life um, so far. Uh, so yes, it is incredibly eclectic, and you know, spending time a lot of time in academia, I. Um, I mean, academia is all about classifying uh, music and 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 labeling things. Mm -hmm. um, I used to do that, but but then at, at some point I, I absolutely gave up on it. And um, the only honest answer that I can uh, give you is that um, at certain moments in my life, all of that was was actually extremely important and meaningful to me. Uh, whether all is, um, I mean, has the same impact at present, no, um, I've been, uh, there are certain musical traditions that I, um, <clears throat> that over the years, um, I mean, I still appreciate them very much, but over the years I myself kind of um, lost the, the need for really interacting with. So at this point, I guess the, the, the current ones that I definitely upkeep and maintain, uh, Bach, Scrabbing, and uh, Hindustani Ragas, and absolutely Afro-Cuban music as well. But um, whether there is um, one common thread that I'm looking for, um, I guess the only thing I could, I could say would be um, sincerity of expression. But, you know, it's such a general thing and, in, and under sincerity of expression, each of us would have a different uh, understanding of, of the term. So um, it's really, it's really um, difficult um, to, uh, to mm -hmm. put a finger on. Mm -hmm. Very good. Great. I Igor, uh, when you're performing uh, and you, you, your music becomes mystical or spiritual, what do you consider to be for yourself while you're performing? or even listening to music, uh, a spiritual experience. What is that internal experience like for you? And is that the experience you'd like to share with those listening to your music? You know what? Um, the experience is, um, is similar, similar to, um, uh, to the experience of emotional high um, that... Um, for example, uh, it's in a way akin to um, uh, to the experience and that um, a lot of people, especially probably a lot of listeners <clears throat> um, of of your uh, podcasts, uh, who met been um, amazing currents of energy. Um, Just up the chakras, uh, fantastic experience. Musical experience is really akin, uh, akin to, to that. Uh, of course, it does not does not happen um, often. For example, I'm not a person who uh, who cries on listening to music, but there was one uh, instance in my life when I did, and indeed I I felt shaken for. It a week after after hearing that very performance. So um, in a way, in this case, the musical vibration, I believe, um, works very much along the similar lines 
like the like the energy, the vibration that we that we uh, work with, that we move in our body um, during meditation. So you you work a lot with um, vibr- sound vibration. Yes. And you you um, draw on both the Indian and a Sufi tradition of using sound vibration. Um, and you mention um, in particular what, you, what uh, is called nada yoga. Um, <laughs> the people who know Spanish, it sounds like it's nothing yoga. <laughs> nada. <laughs> but nada. Uh, but nada yoga in Sanskrit has a, a different meaning, obviously. <laughs> Tell us about that. Mm. Uh, nada yoga, um, nada uh, sound, uh, the yoga of sound, uh, the yoga of vibration. Um, it's actually um, somewhat of a these days in the West, especially I would I would consider it an an obscure um, uh, genre and uh, an, obs- an obscure branch of yoga. Yet uh, the reality is that. Uh, Actually, when you read the the source materials, uh, Nada Yoga, um, Nada Yoga, and Bhakti Yoga, because Bhakti Yoga is the devotional aspect. So, in relation to music, that will be chanting. Um, that will be uh, the Kirtan aspect of that. Um, but Nada Yoga was one of the primary um, branches, and um, we. Obviously, what we know as Hatha Yoga today, which is what about 97% of all yogic activity in the West, um, was just a minor uh, branch allowing people to feel comfortable enough in their body in order to, for example, sit uh, for prolonged periods of time and meditate. Uh, and then there was work with breath. Um, now, then there's Mantra Yoga uh, or Shabd Yoga, uh, the yoga of of working with the sound, uh, the sound of the of the mantra, and that's one aspect of of the yoga of sound. Um, mantra being uh, what what the uh, what the asana is is for the for the body, the asana, the, the yogic pose that that teaches. Flexibility and endurance. Um, mantra is uh, doing the same to to the human mind. Um, and uh, can you uh, distinguish? You use the term shabda, uh, which I always understood to mean sound or word, and you also use the word nada. Um, are there distinctions to be made between those two? It. Yes, because because see nada um, under nada we, uh, you have the sound that is audible and that is ah. inaudible, mm-hmm. right? Whereas whereas the shabd yoga is is uh, that that's the yoga of the word, so the yoga here of the mantra um, of so in in this case um, it is in the in the audible. Uh, rearm uh, without you know going into unnecessary details, but the nada yoga is um, is also um, nada yoga works 
on two levels the uh, the lower level or the uh, the aspect that to us human beings is audible um, that is manifest um, is one and then the inaudible aspect uh, of the vibration in the in the whole of the universe because obviously one of the main tenets of of nada yoga is that uh, behind all creation is its vibration um, and so obviously whether we hear it or not that's just simply a limitation of our ear um, but but that vibration is, is perfectly mm-hmm. present mm-hmm. I- Igor I wanted to ask you uh, I've heard other musicians say that an aspect of music that's important, uh, and, and especially those that uh, are, are seeking the spiritual aspect of music, is silence. How, how does silence play into your music? Oh, absolutely. Uh, silence is uh, one of uh, one of the most important things. You know, if you um, if you think about it, probably everything that uh, that composers do. Uh, here speaking from my, my compositional background uh, is basically we're creating an environment to in which uh, silence can speak um, mm-hmm. can can really truly speak so yes the music is actually is actually our our way towards approximating uh, the silence but it's actually in music it's one of the and it's one of the most difficult things in order to create meaningful silence. Interesting. Um, tell us a bit about the uh, music and mysticism program that you're running, which um, um, has a community aspect to it and a, a charitable one. Mm. Yes. Um, well, music and mysticism uh, originated um, as a... Uh, as an evening uh, program at uh, at a liberal arts, arts college here um, down south at Millsaps College, um, and it was a an eight week journey across um, different sacred musical traditions, which is something that I was always deeply interested in, and um, at the end uh, of the course, well, students told me, well, we wish we um, we could have done. I mean, we wish it actually continued. And I thought, well, actually, why not? Let me let me continue it. And uh, and so um, it started. We restarted in a very. Um, it restarted in my living room, um, and and so very locally. And and it was growing from there. Um, basically, um, in the whole. Um, the whole premise of music and mysticism was to introduce people to um, to why why sound is uh, is important for us and um, and tying to the previous question why silence is important to us and um, you know you could you could um, Mention that the reason for for both is is that uh, it is in the still mind that 
the truth really gets a chance to be heard uh, in the silence, in that pure mm-hmm. silence. So uh, it was it was me introducing different um, uh, musical traditions uh, and how do they approach silence? Uh, why do they use sound? Uh, why do they use human voice? Because if you think about it, all across uh, the world, uh, human voice is used um, in mm, in spiritual music and music pertaining to um, to something beyond entertainment. Uh, and why is human voice used? There's a very simple premise um, which states that since uh, in our voice our emotions come through, and that's something pretty obvious. We all know that when we are angered, our voice will change. When we are in love, our voice will change, and so on. That's straightforward. But then, if that's the case, if our voice actually describes our inner state, then if we reverse uh, that process, then if we work on our voice, then our inner state can can be affected. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, that's that's where music and mysticism started. Um, It's it's been it's been growing, and then. kind of larger events um, started happening locally um, and just just recently in September we had uh, what was called Mindfulness Mississippi um, which was a, a day-long set of, of workshops on all the different aspects of sound and all the different aspects of also breath because obviously breath is behind uh, that human use of sound uh, in spiritual matters, mm-hmm. and um, on the side uh, of that all, uh, music and mysticism also um, was a and has been an ongoing uh, fundraiser for uh, for an orphanage in Nepal. One of my former teachers uh, runs that orphanage, so uh, I kind of I, I know her and I know uh, very well that that. The money, whatever money we're raising and sending directly is basically going for a very good cause. Um, so, so r- right now, music and mysticism functions as a kind of community building event uh, down here in the south, raising awareness of of breathing, of sound in in, in mindfulness practices, um, and also functions as a fundraiser. Igor, uh, you you play piano. Uh, do you perform with other musicians? And if so, um, do those musicians have the same mystical component to their music or the same appreciation of mysticism and spirituality in relation to music that you have? You know what? I mean, uh, it, it varies. It varies. Also, some people, uh, some people are less vocal about this. Some people are more vocal. So, um, but, um, but, uh, it's, Usually, for um, for the quality of the musical experience that we have, um, where you know that sort of uh, entrainment level happens, where um, and and so some, sometimes we actually even leave it absolutely without words. And um, you know, I I speak about uh, those matters um, to uh, I, I don't usually just bring them up if. If someone is interested, I, I, I am always um, happy to, um, to talk. Uh, but, but I've, uh, I've met many musicians who, uh, 
for whom matters of sound in that other aspect, other realm, uh, are very important, and others uh, where where their instrument is is basically um, all that they want to focus their their energies on. Um, so I would say it 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 varies very much across the board. Igor, um, do you have a daily practice yourself? Yes. What is uh, it? I do. Um, it's, it's a combination of um, it's a combination of um, Nada yoga and and mantra uh, and pranayama. So the breathing exercises, uh, the the mantras and um, so-called um, chakra tuning. Um, so um, basically, the the Nada yoga aspect uh, of that is. Um, is, an, uh, is a practice involving um, chanting and visualizing uh, the energy um, as it as it moves up um, up the spine throughout the energy centers and and chart, chanting very syllables and pitches um, as I'm reaching uh, each of the seven energy centers. Um, so that's the um, that's the Nada Yoga um, aspect of it. Um, that's the general reference to to that practice. Is, is in the West is chakra tuning, mm-hmm. um, and and then uh, chanting of uh, of mantras, which changes depending on um, depending on I guess uh, needs um, uh, and 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 seasons. Uh, and as well, uh, and pranayama and meditation. Uh, I guess one thing that we should mention is that the Nada Yoga practices are actually, and mantra practices are some of the easiest meditative practices because you are able to focus on on one sound, um, and therefore, um, for for example, a lot of times uh, people who begin meditation practice find that uh, that very comforting focusing on a single mantra yeah, I- Igor um, <clears throat> those listening in uh, who have not really considered the aspect of, of mysticism or spirituality with connection to music if they wanted to have that experience if they wanted to um, you know listen to music that was spiritually enlivening what would you recommend to them? Where should they start? You know what? Uh, obviously, each of us is in on, on a different um, journey. So I would first say start with something that is absol- that speaks to you. I mean, that is extremely meaningful to you. And oftentimes you might not even have an idea of why this, this music is just opening something, touching something um, deeply inside. And I would say start there. I mean, it obviously doesn't have to be Indian classical music, doesn't have to be any of that sort. Uh, because I believe that if you are if you are honest with yourself and, and basically investigate the music that speaks to you, then then you start the journey. Then it will start leading you to other musical experiences and you start discovering things that you simply never knew existed. And when you... Um teach 
uh, presumably you, you teach uh, performance or composition uh, to, to other uh, musicians. Is that correct? Yes, I've, I've been teaching uh, at a university level, and I also have been teaching privately. Mm. Yes, so that's correct. I, I so, so when you, you have a, a student learning an instrument, um, how do you bring your spiritual orientation into that um, if, if it's not part of the person's life already, do you, or do you bring it in at all as a way of uh, deepening the person's experience of, of performance or um, um, just the, the, the sound element to, to, to making music? You know, that's, um, that definitely always um, seeps in um, to the time that, we, that I spent with my students, for sure. Um, and that same goes for when I'm teaching a class full of um, you know, university-level students or when I'm teaching one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but m most of the time, it actually um, comes in um, in the quality of listening mm -hmm. that we uh, that we try to develop uh, together. So basically, I, I I do not I in the, in in class I do not try to preach on any of that, but I but I do invite my students and try to make it easier for them to listen uh, more carefully, uh, so that so that they are able to experience a sound uh, as, a, as an absolute complete entity. Uh, it's worth mentioning that uh, in India, uh, sound, uh, my musical sound, the musical pitch, uh, is called swar, and swar means that which is complete in itself, meaning that which does not r require anything, um, anything extra, and basically that sort of Deep listening um, allows them to 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 open up to whatever they will be resonating with. Because again, I you know, mm -hmm. I'm only trying to to lead them to whatever they will be resonating with, but I, I do not try to tell them what they should or should not resonate with. Right. Igor, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Are there any final uh, message or points you'd like to make to our listeners? Um, you know what to. And to close, um, maybe uh, I would like to quickly share with you um, a beautiful um, story uh, related by Persian poet Hafez mm -hmm. um, about, um, about why sound is so important mm -hmm. in human life. Um, Please. So Hafez, of course, I will I will relate it quickly and and without that uh, poetic beauty. But but for those interested, you can always go to the source. Um, so um, Hafez describes how um, how God makes the human uh, body out of clay, um, and then as the body is ready, uh, God asks the soul to enter, and the soul says, "No way." I'm not entering that body that you just created. So God asks uh, the angels, angels to sing. And then the soul is lured into the body uh, through, um, through the power of, uh, of sound, through the power of vibration. 
and um, that so that's that that short little story tells us a few important uh, things about us human beings and our nature and why do we crave um, sound mm. so we know that being outside of our body uh, the soul being outside of our body is the initial original um, way in which it's the original form of the soul and that's uh, in latin it says ex statuo and that's where we have ecstasy to stand mm-hmm. outside of oneself right uh, so that's the original form of the of the human soul to be out of the body and then um, it also tells us that the freedom is the original nature of the soul mm-hmm. and that freedom that the absence of the freedom once we enter the body is is uh, the tragedy of life so we have the spirit descending into matter by law of vibration by being attracted to sound to experience really the uh, what we could call the music of life so the unlimited part of us uh, the soul becomes limited by the body in order in order basically to understand the life on earth so there's one loss and one gain we lose our freedom but we gain the experience of life very good great story beautiful story so we have hafez do you want to close with a Jimi hendrix quote (laughs) (laughs) i wish i wish i um, i actually will I, I used to love Jimi Hendrix, but you know, in the last 15 years of my life, to be very honest, I we have not been um, in touch much. <laughs> he once said that music is a safe kind of high. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and this is just another way to to refer to you know to what we refer to as Nada Yoga. That's right. right. There you go. Thank you so much, Igor. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank All you the so best. Much. And uh, we will have uh, people who are listening, if they are interested in your work, we will have links um, on the uh, on the website when we post your interview. Thank you. Thank I you. Think. And uh, approximately when will you be posting? Uh,